Welcome to Known World, Our World, a podcast for all personas. My name is Isma, and I'll be your host as we explore and center non-European research taking place within the Society for Creative Anachronism. The episode you're listening to now is part two of three interviews that I'll be sharing this week with instructors from the upcoming Wapua New World Symposium, hosted by the Barony of Marinus this coming Saturday, May 15th, 2021. This event is fully virtual and free to all participants, and we're lucky enough to have teachers and volunteers from nine different kingdoms, so I hope you'll make time to join us for these fantastic classes. Today, I'll be chatting with Mrs. Rosalind Bent-Mirama of Glen Aubin, who's been honored in the society for her work on non-European dance. Now, she's going to bring that expertise to the Americas. Her class is taught bright and early on Saturday. It's 9 a.m. Eastern time. If you can't quite get up that early, her class is being recorded and you'll be able to find it on the Barony of Marinus YouTube channel. Her class is titled Dance of the New World Through the Eyes of European Artists. Thanks so much to Mistress Rosalind for teaching this week, and I hope you'll enjoy this interview. All right, I am very excited today to be chatting with Mistress Rosalind Bentmirma. Yes? Rosalind. Rosalind Bentmirma. And she will be teaching a class on New World dance, specifically the dance of an Algonquin tribe as depicted by John White in about 1585. That is correct. And that class will be taking place early in the morning on Saturday. Oh, yes, early. <laughs> But we're very excited to have you here and to talk a little bit about your class and what we can anticipate hearing about on your class. Um, we'll start pretty simple. How long have you been in the SCA? What brought you in? What are your primary um, interests within the SCA? You are a Laurel, so I'm interested in hearing um, what that path was like for you, just in, in short. All right. So I got into the SCA in 1990. I was 17 years old. Uh, so it's been quite a, a long time for me. Um, at the time, it was very unusual to see any anything out of uh, European personas. But very early on, I fell in love with non-European cultures and um, started exploring different things with that. Um, some of that was uh, inspired by the Meridian Saltari event, where uh, tribes Arafit would come and would teach like things like uh, Indian dance, native Indian dances from uh, the Far East and their research on uh, how Middle Eastern types of dances developed in the SCA time period. Awesome. What was the, what was the second question? Just what your, your laurel path was like, what, what you eventually were um, elevated for? My laurel path was very long. <laughs> I will say, though, it probably needed to be, though. Um, like a lot of people who get into the SCA, there's so much to do. And it, so the first 10 years, you know, I did everything. I was a fighter. I, you know, I was a protege. I, you know, did the art stuff. Um, took a break around 2000 to have babies. And that really was what I needed to get focused because when I came back five years later and started participating in SCA events again, I realized that my love was the arts and um, 
just really just that was my whole focus. Uh, Glenavon was a new kingdom at that time. And I saw a need. And I fully stepped into this role of, you know, protector of the arts. Let's do these things. And um, I will say that the entry that put me over the top was dance in pre-Islamic Egypt based on uh, images of basically Roman images from Egypt, third and fourth centuries of women dancing and all the writings of the time period of uh, dancers. And I presented uh, that. And that, to me, that's, that was the moment I felt like I crossed a line and I guess arrived. <laughs> um, I, uh, it was a very fortuitous year for me because in, my husband said at the, the Gulf Wars before I was elevated, he knew it had to be soon because people were following back to camp, you know, carrying stuff for me and for my dance classes. And, you know, I would, they would show up with gifts and just like, you're good. He's like, he just knew it. Um, I won champion of the arts that year. I'm very proud of that. And that's when they announced my laurel in 2008. So I'm considered a non-European dance laurel and a costumer. That's fantastic. And just would like to say that I also do uh, 16th century Ottoman Turk. And I kind of gave myself a little bit a wider time frame than I normally try to try to keep my images pretty narrow in focus when I'm trying to recreate something because you don't know if you're looking at different dances or what. But the Turk Turkish dance, the Ottoman Turkish dance, uh, I looked at different uh, a little bit further uh, time greater time period uh, to recreate that and it was so there were so few dance moves that recorded and a lot of them were done by men but we know that there was dancing in the, the harem uh, with the women so that that was a neat little um, research project a neat project these take years to develop so um, that whole 10,000 hours of study and um, work to try to come up with what you feel like is a accurate representation of what you're what you're seeing here and for dance that is so difficult because of course no videos and all the best and what a especially a non-european dancer has to do is usually look at these images and it's their best guess of how they connect and sometimes the music helps with that to help with the flow uh, and of course you, you need to read a lot of different things because uh, like the philosophers in Rome would and the the um, the satirists and things like that would just say awful things about dancers and you know and you're like huh he's talking about quivering thighs so how do I incorporate you know is that is he for real is she just shaking something and how do I incorporate that into my dance? Because obviously it made an impression on juvenile. So <laughs> so how do you go from Roman and Turkish and Egyptian <laughs> dance to dance of the new world, specifically the Algonquin tribe? Um, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> and like I said, these are these were years of, pro, you know, at least two years or so on on some of these research projects and I've been at this one for about two years uh, unfortunately uh, and, I'll, and I'll get answer your question in a second but unfortunately I usually present it over a series of events to help 
solidify my understanding and how to teach it. So I'm very, first of all, I'd like to say, also, I'm very excited to be here and teaching at your event. I'm so excited to finally, because uh, I've only, this will be the second time I've taught this class. But usually it is fortune that shines upon me in some way. Um, it was the seneschal of my local shire, uh, Baron T Tinkcar. We call him Tink Chainbeard. Shout out to him and Shire of Ironox. He was researching New World personas, and he brought this book in called Southeastern Indians, Life Portraits, a Catalog of Pictures from 1564 to 1860. By, it's edited by Emma Lila Funda and so I was looking at, he was looking at it as a, a plate jumping off point for uh, some of his research on Southeastern Indians. Um, uh, and, and I was looking through it and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this picture. They're dancing. And, um, and I was started talking to him about the picture of the, of the native peoples dancing and I started describing the dance moves to him of how I would break down the dance. And he was just like looking at me like I was speaking a foreign language, I guess, because that's not what he was looking at. But for me, I see the dance and I'm like, it's the whole dance here in this, this image by John White. And I'm like, look at the knee, look at the arm, look at the hand, look at their feet, the energy that he drew into the movements. So that's how it kind of, fell into my lap and you go down that rabbit hole is something to present because it's a it is a beautiful culture um that is that needs to be remembered as in some way and this class will be my best guess at how this dance might have been done and we're only focusing on one picture. I'll, I'll review several pictures because he, he drew several different dances, but they're different dances. So you don't want to mix what you see to honor what we may be being seen in this photo. So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing. And we'll I, be showing. <laughs> I think we'll be... that is incredible <laughs> that you can deduce a a dance move like that from looking at a still a still illustration i i assume it's like a woodcut or or just like an illustration of some kind but so you're saying there are multiple different dances within this series but you'll be focusing just on on one for this particular presentation right the one we're focusing on is actually a co-ed uh, men and women dancing together which i think is very unusual the uh, like in another photo it's all women dancing but the the but the, the feeling that you get when you look at the dance, the two different images together, that is very obvious, uh, two different dances. Um, so, and I will tell you, it's very exciting to see that because trying to go from what this person is doing to what the next person is doing, and you start connecting this pose, you get a feel for oh my gosh, it kind of gives me chills, this, this connection through time. Because you kind of, you can see in some of like uh, the dances that are currently done at the powwows that are just, you, you can feel it. Now, 
I also am a firm believer you can't just say that it's the same thing that was passed down because like uh, dropping a pebble into a, uh, a still pool of water, those ripples, it's like the, the as I say, the whisper game. Yeah, when someone whispered. And so little changes down hundred, over hundreds of years do produce changes, but you feel it though. That was so exciting to me to feel the energy of it developing. So You were talking earlier about how you can sometimes use music or other forms of art and literature to, in, to inform how you think about this dance. Is there um, surviving literature and music to compare when you're talking about the Algonquin tribe? Not that I've found yet. I have found one image that shows uh, uh, the peoples of the Southeast region using drums. And that is the closest that I've come to anything of, uh, of what the music would be like. Uh, I will tell you the dance we are learning is very vigorous. So I can, I feel like there is a uh, very powerful soundtrack in my head to go with that. And I'm trying to uh, find music um, that, that I feel like would fit it um, for my practice. Uh, it's very difficult because I, I, I just feel like I need like a basic, I'm trying to find that basic drum beat mm -hmm. to, um, to use, not some of the, the modern recordings because they only go back so far. Of course. Um, and I guess my, my next question, or maybe my last question is, <laughs> um, when you're preparing a class like this, um, what are you hoping or what, what is the, what, what is the like, gotcha? Like, what do you hope that people get the most from this class in terms of what they will be able to reproduce when they leave? Do you feel like there is an actual dance um, move or a dance pattern that people will be able to try out at home and to incorporate into other um, studies of New World dance? Let's see, that's, uh, that's another great question. <laughs> Maybe a complicated question, but it is a complicated question because I think first and foremost, I think people need to understand that it's it's it is okay to present experimental um, theories on what you're studying. Sure, because um, uh, there will be things that you run across that you just don't know, and um, and of there's no written record of it, or this is this is the only so far that I found record of this type of recorded uh, activity for the SCA time period. So I feel like that's number one is uh, don't be afraid to experiment and present your theories. Um, this is my best guess with the information I have of how this dance might have looked like. Um, and I think that is very exciting uh, to think about when you find one image, let's say, that moves you to take that deep dive in the SCA and try your, your best to explore it and recreate it, um, that I would love to see that uh, more people do that, to find those obscure bits of knowledge and say, I found this written reference to underwater basket weaving. I don't know, you know, and yeah. say, 
I ran with it and it's a work in progress because I feel like you should always be working to improve in some way and, and present that in some local arts display, arts competition, because that's, that's, oh my gosh, to me as a, for me as a Laurel, that is exciting. You know, look at this weird stuff. Let's do some crazy SEA arts. And uh, well, crazy for me means great, means great. I love it. Let's go. Um, we're friends on Facebook. So, you know, some of the things that I'm like, hey, you can find art in every, just about anywhere in anything. And, you know, the fascinums of Rome is a current hot topic for me that, hey, we can do that. And that's could be your entry. So, I mean, I find I find this this take on on ANS so refreshing to say that it's OK to take a long time. It's OK to experiment and to um, to, to dig deeper and to not know. It is a problem within the New World community in particular that many of the foundational resources that are very common in Europe were destroyed during the colonial period here in the Americas. So many of the, the cultures of the New World don't have as many foundational resources to help you do things like, like, like dance or food or brewing or um, map making or any number of ANS topics that you might Ooh. want to try map making that sounds great and and for example the algonquin tribes uh when the uh during the colonial times during this time period they were basically almost decimated and ended up moving to canada and that's where the remaining uh peoples are that's where their tribes are um there's there's several of them but uh and and while they don't mind being called uh Algonquin that they do have another name that they call themselves and I'm, I'm not going to try to pronounce it but it just when you research them and on their their web pages and trying to understand uh, who they are now that that's important information to know. I think that is also a really important point that I think a lot of people would appreciate is that the modern people who exist that are descended from the native and indigenous groups that we talk about in period may have, like you said, have played the whisper game over time, just like European cultures, where their historical, um, the people of history, the people, their ancestors may not be practicing exactly the same way that they do today. They may have reclaimed certain words that were used to describe them in period that now they use themselves yes. that were more accurate to their pre-colonial um, language. All of these things are just really important pieces and I'm really glad that you brought it up. Yay. <laughs> well, well I think, it, go ahead. It just, and just, and it's also very interesting because I don't have a lot of information about dance and I, I, I worry about that too. So I'm hoping that I get some information from my inquiries about that on how that, that piece of it survives for them. One of the things that I have found in just starting to talk more about New World research, especially in the SCA and American research within the SCA, is that there are so many just treasure troves of information hiding within our society that for a long time did not come forward because researching American cultures was not common. So it wasn't something that they regularly presented at 
you know, arts festivals or local group classes. And now there's so many people just kind of coming to the surface who have all this background knowledge that it's just really fun to mine. Well, a little little short story, but I, I, you know, I was part of the movement back in the day to open it up to non-European uh, personas and cultures and things like that. And I'll never forget the first time that I walked in and uh, I think I was exploring some type of uh, uh, Asian or um, Indian, uh, East, uh, Indian clothing, like uh, muggle type stuff. And I thought people were going to lose their minds. It, you know, you know, they got, they dealt with it and they, with grace, but you could tell they're like, what are you wearing? What are you doing? You know, so we've come a long way and we should celebrate that. And I think that's, I think that's fantastic. So I know that those of us who are exploring new world personas, especially those of us who are using new world personas to reconnect with um, ancestral groups or to our, um, like our family culture, just really appreciate so much. All of the foundational people in the SCA way before us, I've only been in the SCA for about three years, who worked so hard to make it so that the SCA is a global foundation, a global group, and not just focused exclusively on small groups in Europe. I would never have known you'd only been in three years. That's I feel <laughs> so old now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think I was three years old when you joined the SCA. <laughs> Oh my God. But seriously, it was, it was, there was that feeling, you know? So I was like, mm -mm, let's kick that door down. Let's, I love let's it. Do, let's do some stuff. I love it. And I appreciate it so much that you're coming to teach for us. Her class is Dance of the New World Through the Eyes of European Artists. It's very early in the morning, 9 a.m. <laughs> Eastern Time on Saturday, but it is being recorded. So I hope that you will all take some time to join Mistress Rosalind at her class on Saturday, May 15th. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you teaching at our symposium. Thank you, Isma.